And BNW Church, we out here. I'm sitting here via the interwebs uh, with <laughs> my man, Ryan Bruchette, who What's has good? recently re-dyed the top of his hair, got some frosted tips going. That's uh, happened, dude. I had to do it before camp. Used, it used to be because of Odell, but not anymore, because I don't think yeah. Odell has that hair anymore. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he does. But anyway, Ryan, I have a confession to make. It's not really a confession, um, but I have this uh, meal, this meal that I make sometimes. It's pretty weird. Um, okay. It's uh, a top ramen peanut butter sandwich. For those of you who know me, know that this is a, one of my meals. Um, and I ate it last night. I normally only eat it like every six months, and I ate it last night, and I feel sick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, it it I'm makes sorry. sense. It makes sense, but Ryan, my question for you is: What is the weirdest thing uh, that you eat on a semi-yearly basis? So, not like the weirdest thing you've ever eaten, obviously, because right, right, right. like horse or cow's tongue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, just the weirdest thing you eat. But it's like you you kind of eat it every once in a while, you know? Like it's dude, it's, and it's a like go-to. I'm not like really trying to tell everybody I eat it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, but you do okay, eat okay. it. It's not yeah. like it's just, you weren't just on a weekend in Santa Barbara or something. It's it's like Word. actually. You eat this. Dog, okay. This is so wild. And I can't believe I do this. But I got you. Okay. So your boy will take Takis or Flamin' Hot Cheetos, okay? And just mm-hmm. get my inner junior higher, right? And cream cheese, bro. <laughs> I'll dip it in cream cheese. What? I'll literally hit taco or Takis or Flamin' Hot Cheetos and cream cheese. And I learned it. At Fremont Junior High in eighth grade. Who taught That's you? That's a thing. Uh, just kids would do it. And I was like, that's so dumb. Because they would get a bagel and cream cheese for lunch. And then get Flamin' Hot Cheetos and dip the Cheetos oh. in the cream cheese. And I was like, nah, bro. I'm never doing that. I, I tried it, bro. Changed my life. Cheetos Cheetos kind of makes sense, I think. Yeah. Hockey's, I don't know. I know. I know. it's just like straight heat. Like I Cheetos know. at least got a little cheese. You got the cream cheese and the cheese of the Cheetos. But, you know, bro, the talking, it's offset. It offsets, bro. Talking Quavo, <laughs> offset, bro. I'm shout talking out, shout out literally, Atlanta. shout out to the Amigos. They just released Culture 3. You guys should listen to it. Uh, or don't. I don't know. You see Quavo uh, was in the Hawks locker room after they won. Like, no, dancing. You kidding? No, he <laughs> wasn't. Like, was he I really? thought there was COVID protocols. <laughs> I don't think this is allowed. No, nah, uh, dude, only COVID protocols for Chris Paul. That's the only that's co- true. COVID protocols we get. That's Thanks. true. Shout out to the Suns. Well, uh, mm-hmm. s- speaking of uh, hot hot cheese, we got a hot topic for you today. Gross. Of reparations. Hot, hot yeah. cream cheese, Takis Cheetos. Hot cream cheese. Um, we'll talk a little bit about affirmative action, but not really, but mostly reparations. And Ryan, you often hear yeah. statements when reparations is brought up, and it's like, well, why not just hire people based solely on merit and not look at race yeah. and ethnicity at all? Why should mm-hmm. innocent people be punished for the sins of their ancestors? And so, yeah. Ryan, in your life, when was maybe the first time you, like, heard about reparations? Or what was your first experience really, like, processing it or dealing with it? Um, what, was, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think my first experience with reparations was just, like, my uh, uncles joking about it. Uh, my uncles and my mom and my older cousins or, like, hearing my older brother's friends just say something random. Uh, <laughs> it would just be like reparations because I think I don't know some black comedian I don't know which black comedian uh, it's easy to say Dave Chappelle it might have been Chris Rock <laughs> or Chris Tucker uh, somewhere in the 2000s one of the Chris's like 
yeah, like made a joke like reparations and that just became like a joke, but it was like a joke, but like for real. But then like we joked, but, but for also, real. But also, yeah, like, yeah, it's a joke, and but also we should, but also it's a joke. Exactly. And so I didn't get the contextual joking of it growing up until reparations became an actual real word for me in the sense of me knowing what it was after I read the article and the headline, The Case for Reparations by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Probably in 2017 for me, even though I think it came to um, prominence in either late 15 or early 16, around the election of Trump versus Clinton, something like that. So I didn't really start thinking about it. Uh, Yeah, what a great year! (laughs) So good. Well, Ryan, Donald Trump will run America like a business. It's true. I heard that so many times, and I was like, okay. And Hillary will run it like an underground sex ring. Um, yeah, and a lizard person. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, we're so, not talking about them, but yeah. <laughs> back, back to reparations. Correct. Um, so uh, there's this quote from MLK, because uh, we always got to quote the dog, um, mm. where basically he said, a society that has done something special against the Negro for hundreds of years must now do something special for him in order to equip him to compete mm. on an equal basis. Um, so that, that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about reparations. We're going to talk about a little bit of perceptions around it. We'll go through a couple uh, cities that are actually doing some forms of that and some orders that are actually doing some forms of that. Um, and then we'll mm-hmm. talk about, you know, does the Bible say anything about this? Maybe it does. I don't know. Surprises. Um, so anyway, we're not going to talk about affirmative action a lot just because we got a, a white Jesus and black Jesus and representation episode coming up at some point, which yep. affirmative action and, and representation kind of go hand in hand in some ways. Um, but in terms of affirmative action as reparations, I, I mean, I think, uh, we'd kind of be behind that as well when we get into reparations, um, and affirmative action is a form of reparations. Um, so Ryan, let me just real fast do some semantic help. Um, cause you know me, I like, I like yeah. semantics, um, and some yeah. words, uh, just like the difference between systemic racism and systematic racism. We yep. have the difference between reparation and reparations. So mm. reparation, uh, without the S is just the act of repair and repentance and reparations are the practices of reparation. So just so you know, when we're going through this and we talk about reparations, that's like the ways you can do reparation, but reparation is just a general concept about repairing and repenting. Um, and Duke Kwan actually describes it like this. Reparation is not retribution, i.e. punishment, but restitution, i.e. restoring and making good from an injury slash infliction. So basically, it's, it's justice. It's not charity. It's not mm. punitive, but rather giving what is already owed. It's not yep. even a function of grace per se, but it's, again, a matter of justice. Um, and it's kind of a fruit of repentance. So i.e., um, I know a lot of people will talk about like we're just given handouts. But that's not what reparations is talking about because reparations is about making something right that was wronged. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just giving out free things. Uh, it, this is saying that there was something that happened here, something wrong happened here, mm-hmm. something was stolen, taken, not given that should have, and this is now making it right. So just to make that clear, because um, I know some people view reparations where it's just like under the context of we're just giving away free money to people because of who they are. Um, that's not the heart of it. The heart is justice. It's making things right. Because uh, things mm-hmm. were made wrong, uh, specifically. Right. Yeah, just um, balancing it out. Yeah. So, Ryan, when when you think of reparations, um, mm-hmm. we don't need to get in too dicey of waters, but have you ever heard a church or pastor, doesn't have to be your own, teach on this or teach on this topic, whether Old Testament, New Testament, or just topical? Um, can you remember in your 
life experience. Has this ever come up um, in the Christian world for you? No. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even have a qualify for that. Same. No. I same. thought you were gonna say like, have you ever read like an article or no, a past? For not those of you listening, study. For those of you listening, we we don't always like Colton and I don't like sit down and map out exactly what we're gonna say. So I like to have like a real reaction, and that was a hundred percent a real reaction. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I mean, <laughs> half the time we have no idea where we're going. I mean, we got some, I got some stats and stuff, but that's pretty some much stats. it. Some stats. Colton stats, guys. Some stats. It's semantics and stats. <laughs> um, speaking yeah, dude, of never. St- never. Speaking of stats. What, you go, you go. Sorry, I was going to get to stats. Big oh, stats no, guy. I was just, I was going to say, yeah, dude, I just, to answer your question, like, I've read articles against reparation. I've read articles yeah. for it. You know, there's books coming out up the wazoo right now, dude. Um, well, but, Duquan just uh, Duquan and Gregory Thompson just released a book yeah. on it. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, the homies. But yeah, I mean, I haven't uh, like personal study, yeah, or like listening. I, I've heard a couple sermons, uh, one from Eric Mason in Philly, um, mm-hmm. but outside of that, like not in my own like churches I've been a part of. Um, it's never, it's never come up. Even when we talk about justice, uh, this has never been kind of a form of it. Um, yeah. So let's talk about some stats real fast because, again, I'm a stats guy. Um, nice. And so thinking of, like, perceptions of reparations because some of you, this may be the first time you've heard of it. Some of you may have heard of it and have no idea what it is. You think it's a handout. You think it's another affirmative action thing. Um, yeah. So here's a quote before we get into some stats from Senator Mitch McConnell um, where he says that it is unfair to punish white Americans today for their ancestors' mistakes. He says, none of us currently living are responsible for America's original sin. So, i.e., there's mm. nothing we should do now to make right what was old. And it's viewing reparations through, like, a lens of punishment. Like, reparations is just all about making white people feel bad. Um, yeah. Which is, again, that's not the heart of reparations. It's about justice, nope. not about charity. Uh, yeah. So, stats. Get some stats. Some s- statistics. Yeah, let's get those stats. Yeah, uh, some stats. Uh, so yeah. only 27% of Americans think the U S government should provide compensation for descendants of slaves. So it's only one of the population. So this is not necessarily cool. a popular idea in whole, no but way. let's dive into some religious demographics. Um, only 5% of white evangelicals favor reparations. So 5%. This might be the smallest percentage of yeah. any of the white evangelical <laughs> percentage that, that I've given ever. Yeah. yeah. You've ever given like yeah. in any of these all like both seasons. Well, and Incredible. this is what's nuts. Okay. So only 5% of white evangelicals right. favor reparations. Yep. 75% of black Protestants <laughs> support reparations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you mm-hmm. have a uh, one one out of every 20 people support reparations that are white evangelicals and three out of every four of black Protestants. Um, so cool, this is cool. statistically speaking, the most like, diverse spread we've ever shared in terms of the difference between white evangelical perceptions and black Protestant perceptions. Um, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Um, we're not going to get into all of those. Um, but again, let's, uh, let's keep moving through this again. We're not going to talk about affirmative action. Um, but just one quick side note, cause I think it's important to mention, uh, is that most affirmative actions like, uh, policies by the U S government has statistically speaking, mostly benefited white women, um, and immigrants of color from like elite backgrounds. So it really cool. hasn't benefited black people as much as people try to put it in the media or scapegoat them as all these welfare programs are for um, black people. If anything, it's white women. And again, like high status, elite status, um, immigrants of color that normally get the affirmative action benefits. 
So just to put that out there, you can go do your own research on that. Uh, <laughs> hashtag do your own research. Uh, oh, boy. God, it's funny. Uh, that's a funny phrase in today's world. Uh, yeah, it is. But anyway, uh, let's talk about reparations um, specifically. So another quote from Malcolm X, and Ryan, I have a question for you. Um, Malcolm X said that if you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. Even if you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. Progress is healing the wound that the blow made. Mm. So I know we don't love Malcolm X, some of us in this room, in this uh, stratosphere, but that's a pretty good analogy um, because for some people – uh, they viewed it as we took the knife out of the back. You know, we were wrong. We were bad. We we did bad things, but we took the knife out, and that's it's okay now. We don't have anything else we have to do. Um, but I think Malcolm X provides a good analogy of like we need to heal the wound. And so right now, you know, thinking of America, Ryan, what are mm-hmm. those wounds that haven't been healed? What are um, is the knife all the way out of the back, or is it only six inches out? Um, what what are the things you see that still need repaired? Um, that you think maybe haven't fully been repaired or what are the realities that you see that show the lack of repairness? Yeah. So I was, uh, messaging my friend, uh, Kenneth the other day, not Kenneth Walmsley, Kenneth Webb. So shout out to Kenneth Webb. Lots also of shout Kenneths. out Kenneth Walmsley. Your first. Thought you'd have so many Kenneth friends in your life. The only one yeah. I know is Kenneth Birding, uh, nice. the bird dog. <laughs> Both these Kenneths are black. So that's oh, cool. This guy is very yeah. white. Uh, oh, all right. Well, anyways, we were messaging and. I was talking about how we just made Juneteenth a national holiday, and my friend actually hit me. My friend Kenneth actually hit me with this quote. Like he he DM'd me on Instagram and um, was like, "Bro, check out this Malcolm X quote though." And I was like, "Dude, you're totally right." Like, because I wasn't disagreeing with them, but I was also like, "Man, we have to get some sort of symbolic representation in national history and narrative history reclaimed." But that can't be the only thing we do. And, you know, yeah. we have to hold both those tensions. And so it seems to be that we're moving that way. You know, Gen Z is really pushing millennials that aren't uh, just like not having money and paying off debt and just being sad all the time are helping push uh, for some of these national uh, understandings. We're just sad and, and, and living at our parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we're doing. Dead inside. Um, shout out. <laughs> lots of shout outs this episode. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, to friends. Um, okay, so we have a lot of that happening and a lot of talking and a lot of things moving in the House, but not necessarily the Senate. And there's not that many, in my mind, um, CEOs and entrepreneurs and people running political action committees and people in Senate seats and people in ethics committees that are being able to push institutionally um, to get the knife out of the back still. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there's things like uh, the, the wealth gap has increased since the pandemic. Uh, the realities of healthcare have increased uh, and the inequity since the pandemic started. Um, we are seeing less and less uh, um, uh, of an ability to just live in America and even places that used to be way cheaper, like uh, inflation's on the rise. That's affecting directly black and brown communities. And we're still trying to figure out like, why can't we get that average household income, like we said, $17,000 or something, yeah. um, moved along with the rest of the the country in terms of white wealth. And that's largely because we're not actually doing the on-ground work of reparations uh, in terms of either providing access to more um, wealth or uh, reshaping the structures so that wealth uh, can be accessed. 
Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of different, um, you know, thinking about that. But really, the the knife is not totally out. It really isn't. I think when Malcolm X says, if you stick a knife in my back nine inches, pull it out six, I really do think it's like, okay, maybe we're at like 6.2 inches uh, right now in America. But there's still another 2.8 yeah. uh, inches to go. Um, Even if you agree so those are some of those things. Some people might yeah. think we pulled the knife out all the way, but there's yeah. still a bleeding wound. There's still um, a bleeding wound. Like it, it still doesn't feel like we're fully patched up. And so, uh-uh. yeah, statistically speaking, again, stats guy, big stats guy. Um, if the average black family's wealth continues to grow like it has over the last three decades, so over the last 30 years, it will take 228 years to amass the mm. same amount that white families currently have in 2013. So white families, uh, like wealth, home wealth in 2013, if black families on average want to meet that average, it will take 228 years, the same growth trajectory. And it'll take Latinos 84 years. Um, so you're saying the amount of time that America's been around is how long it's going to take for basically the and that's if it continues in the same equal? trend. Um, so 228 mm. years, Ryan, your great 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 grandkids um, can't wait. We'll finally close that gap. Mm. So all that is to say, whether you think the knife has fully been taken out, but maybe we forgot to patch up the wound. Um, maybe mm-hmm. it was. You know, it's still only six inches out. Some people would argue it's only one inch uh, been taken right. out. Um, I don't know where I would land on that yet because it's an analogy, and analogies aren't perfect. Um, nope. But the reality is before we kind of dive into some history about, you know, ways that reparations have been done, ways they could have been done, ways they weren't done, a question I'd want to ask you, which is a question we asked after, like, the systemic racism episode, is, okay, well, if we can't do reparations – then what's your solution? Like, what's going to, like, break that gap? Is it, you know, is it you're just going to blame it on black dads? Is that, like, really what you're saying the wealth gap is? It will take 228 years to cover? Like, what what is your solution? What is your fix? What is your help? Um, again, don't be someone who just throws down ideas for reparative justice or for equal pay and equal income. Actually, like, construct something rather than just, like, blaming black people. Um, love that so just to sit with that as we start talking about these because you might think oh these ideas are stupid that would never work that's fine then come up with your own (laughs) Uh, that's all we ask okay so one quick thing anecdotally to talk about ryan ryan you remember that stimmy check we got (laughs) those those couple stimmy checks them stimmies bro what'd you uh what'd you spend your stimmy check money on ryan i spent it on student loan debt nice credit card debt and a bike nice i uh got one tattoo and then cool. I threw the rest away into this thing called savings that just seems like this weird, weird American concept thing. Um, yeah. So that's what I did. Savings. Um, but anyway, Dude, 76% that's of That's some pretty voters. lame, pretty lame for <laughs> yeah. me. You, yeah. you got, well, actually, hold on. I had two lame ones. You had two lame ones, but we had that's one true. good one. Tattoo and a bike. That's good. Okay. That's true. That's all you need to yeah. be a millennial. Um, so... <laughs> of voters, Republican and Democrat, agreed with a stimulus check being paid out in the midst of the pandemic um, and in the midst of an economic recession, which is what we just went through. So 76%, remember that. We're okay with, okay, we're in extreme circumstances. There Mm -hmm. is this hardship that was brought on, not necessarily by us, but by an Mm -hmm. outside force or a previous force or previous poor planning. Um, And so it makes sense for the government in this unfortunate situation that's not necessarily anyone's fault to compensate us, to help us survive and make it through this. So 76% of voters were like, yes, that's great. 
but isn't that in some ways just reparations (laughs) you know um like Mm. black americans have faced extreme economic hardship just like we all did in this last year um and we don't have to say it's anyone's fault but don't you think it'd be right to help them get through or get back to equilibrium um to provide wasn't there a wasn't there a pandemic playbook that obama made that just got thrown away um (laughs) when the regime changed wasn't yes yes but we don't need to get into that ryan okay Uh, just just throwing that into (laughs) the conversational atmosphere Uh, the conversation we are in a conversational atmosphere here um, yeah dude that's what uh that's pretty millennial i can't lie (laughs) Uh, we're just doing life on life that's what we're doing oh Um, my okay okay well you got to keep going anyway so let's talk about one of the biggest barriers to reparations for i think a lot of americans is one they don't even understand what it is they think it's like punishment of white people which is not true um, it's possible to actually not punish dude, white people and do this. You're right. Um, That's always the initial reaction. I'm like, yeah. yo, dude, chill. It's like, stop punishing me. Uh, so there's ways to not do that as well. Um, there might be ways that, you know, go listen to our slavery was so long ago episode. And you could talk about collective guilt. Um, but also we need like a, a shared history. Um, if kind of, you know, if we're going to move forward, we need to actually understand the history of America and if efforts were actually made to repair things. And we can't just keep on saying, well, since no one did it, might as well not do it now. It's kind of like when you keep on forgetting to do the dishes. You can't just keep pushing them off and thinking that one day it will just disappear. Um, it, we have really? to have a shared history of what happened. Um, Shout out to my so roommate, this is why, Joseph like, Bloody, who always does dishes. <laughs> thanks, Joseph. Um, this is why we have like books we recommended, like The Color of Compromise or other books that kind of go through the history. Um, but one other thing to note, for those of you who are big theology nerds, and Ryan, this is a character we've talked about before. Um, but Jonathan mm-hmm. Edwards, so his grandson hey. in 1810 uh-huh. actually advocated for reparations. Um, so that's a big uh, a paper. Uh, generational change there a little bit in, in J. Ed's uh, family. Dude, dude, the Puritan kids around like post-revolution, during revolution were like the Gen Zers of the Puritans. Because they're like, <laughs> why are we doing slavery if we're going to be a free country? It's wild. I wrote a whole paper. It's crazy. Uh, Ryan, will, will you be willing to post that paper in the comments? Yes, I will. Nice. Okay. Everyone can go read Ryan's paper and give him a grade, just like his professors did. Because that's the best mm. way to learn about God, uh, through a grade. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk about like some proposed models. Again, reparation is like about it. making right what was wrong. It's about trying to heal yep. up that wound, uh, bridge the gap. It's not about punishing we... white people. Yes, that ancestors created. It's no one's fault that's currently alive. But we collectively share a right to justice because we're Christians and we want things to be, you know, equitable. Um, so there's been one solution proposed to talk about, like, estimating the exact dollar amount of what would be owed to black Americans descended from slaves in present day. Um, so after the Civil War, uh, there was supposed to be 40 acres in a mule given to freed black men. Um, this never happened. But that was, like, the proposed thing because they knew. Even then they knew, like, setting free these slaves with no economic help will be a tragedy. Um, so they proposed to do 40 acres and a mule. Um, and then it wasn't given to most freed slaves. So it was an economic tragedy. So some have like estimated what that would be today. Um, and it'd come out to like 40 to $60,000. And some have argued maybe you could do that in one lump sum. Maybe you could spread it over years because some people don't trust anyone with money. Um, and all they have to do is black Americans have to prove they had a slave and their descendants in order to get that payment in the same way you did with the stimulus to kind of try to prove um, your status with the IRS. You'd be able to do that and you'd get this payment or it'd be a lump payment and couple payments over years. Um, the U.S. Jesuit order 
Um, so if you know Jesuits, they're kind of an offshoot of Catholicism, but still under the branch of Catholicism. Um, they have actually pledged to raise $100 million themselves to pay wow. back people whose ancestors they sold to keep their ministry going. So they like did a historical account of their order and found that they had sold slaves in, in order to like keep their ministry going. Um, and so they've actually pledged to raise a hundred million and dole out payments to people. So this is all financial compensation. And then Ta-Nehisi Coates even argues that even if you remove slavery from the reparations conversation, there's enough in the 1900s, like injustice to like argue for some reparation. Um, so if you think of like, we've talked about the housing discrimination and predatory practices, um, we could set up a, a system where we offered, uh, black people that didn't in their family, didn't get those loans in the post GI bill, world war II. Um, or post-World War II GI Bill, or didn't get the housing loans in the 50s because of segregation, we could offer it the same now. Like, there's so many ways to do this other than just saying, white people, you're bad, give money to black people. Um, yeah. Most of these are very complex. They're thought through. Um, it's not just, again, about punishing um, white people. Because um, even if you look at, like, between 1934 and 1968, 98% mm-hmm. of federal subsidized mortgage loans were given to white Americans. 98 percent 98 man um so even just from that period we have some grave injustice it wasn't like your ancestors so long ago it was your grandpa that worked at the bank who was denying um and making this wealth gap large um Mm. so there's just so many options um there's one even uh i think i have this on here it's in evanston uh yeah evanston illinois oh there it is Okay, so in Evanston, Illinois, they're actually doing this by just putting a 3% tax on recreational marijuana sales and providing more affor- affordable loans for houses and down payments, uh, or for houses and down payments of 25000 for black residents. Yeah. So basically, they looked at their history in Evanston before marijuana was legal, and they found that 70% of the marijuana arrests were uh, black people um, who only make up about 16% of the population. So they said, man, look, in the last 30 years, we have indiscriminately or discriminately uh, targeted black people with marijuana charges that now we as a state are making money off of because it's recreational now and it's legal. So what we're going to do is we're going to just put a 3% tax. Um, So all you Christians out there who are conservative, they're putting a tax on the marijuana smokers. So it's not even on you, you know, it's on the, (laughs) it's on the potheads. Um, So they're putting a 3% tax on recreational marijuana. And from that money from the 3% using that to do down payments and make more affordable loans for houses for black people in their community. Um, so that's even a recent one within the last 30 years. So reparations doesn't have to just be for slavery. Um, it could be Correct. across the whole board. Um, so Ryan, question for you is, does that all sound crazy? I- am I speaking nonsense? I know a lot of people think reparations is one of the craziest ideas ever. There's no way we could ever do it. It's not practical. It's impractical. Um, how would we ever figure it out? Um, does this sound crazy to you? No, dude, it doesn't sound crazy to me. I think American ingenuity has always been from kind of uh, its inception has been about like, man, how do we solve problems, whatever the problems are? Uh, That's one thing I do appreciate about the country and its history, um, apart from slavery and massive injustice in terms of uh, domineering and power and wars and everything. You know, we have to at least say, okay, there's typically a lot of ingenuity involved. And to me, this is just pick pick something. Um, yeah. I, I, I know that to, to figure out the wealth gap reality and to figure out, like, what to do with, with the money piece, it's going to be dicey. It's going to be hard. 
but there's creative ways we can do this. Um, there's things with tax credit workarounds that we could do. There are things with uh, education. One of the things I think would be legit is for all African-Americans to have a free junior college and then half in-state tuition to let states do reparations. Like that's an idea for me. If like we don't want to give straight direct payments, then make it yeah. easier for this system of having an undergrad yeah. and a master's in order to get a salary at a respectable job. Make that easier. Make the pathway towards being able to you know work your way and close the wealth gap easier. That's what I think is a, a feasible situation we could do. Like I was saying, tax credits we could do, uh, educational credit we could do, uh, the twenty-five thousand like Evanston is doing. We could uh, tax on the recreational marijuana. We can do so many different things. We just have to pick. And I think we keep letting the can get kicked down the road by saying it's too complex. We can't do it. White people feel bad. And it's like, bro. We are way more able to problem solve oh, than yeah. that. We can't just let ourselves be dumb. How can we create the fastest vaccine ever recorded in history with a pandemic and somehow ship them and make that a global shipment across multiple nations with multiple factories with American scientists, but we can't just figure out reparation? That's, that's dumb to me. Well, because that's because it was a pandemic, Ryan. It was ah, planned. Yeah, the <laughs> Because Hillary didn't didn't win in 2016, so therefore planned she, the demic. Hey, uh, stock market crash is coming, according true. to uh, Bill and Melinda. That's why they divorced. But anyways, yeah. man, we've done so much ingenuity. You know, oh, RNA yeah. now is about to somehow be able to help us with cancer research and and helping fight cancer. Why can't we just figure out reparations? Well, that's so that's that's my 27 percent of Americans crazy. are for reparations, and five percent right. of white evangelicals are for it. Um, yeah, dude. If we had 75%, just like they were for the stimulus checks, right. that would happen overnight. Reparations would mm -hmm. happen literally by Congress overnight because they're so craving our vote and our approval that if 75% mm -hmm. of Americans were just like, or even just 80% of white evangelicals were just like, hey, we want this. I'm pretty sure they'd figure it out. Um, oh, we'd lobby real quick. And and just so everyone knows, like I'm I'm for reparations, obviously for slavery, for a lot of the predatory practices, but I'm I'm even for reparations for white people too, in terms of like people that were in the last 30 years that have been thrown in prison or given life sentences for marijuana, regardless of black or white or Latino right. or whatever. Um, I'm totally down to take some of the recreational marijuana sales that the government is now making money off of and giving them payments um, and setting them free from prison who are in for marijuana charges. Like I it's just a part of being a Christian is doing yeah. things and setting things right. Uh, it's not just for black Americans, although that is one of the gravest and we haven't even gotten into native Americans or other, other people groups. Um, but that it just, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I just feel like, you know what? Oh, historically, socially, like nationalistically, like this is what we did. Okay. We then as Christians must be a part of the, like the solution it must be a part of like advocating for justice. And you see this um, even in world history in the last, you know, 60, 70 years, where after the Holocaust, Germany paid 50 billion to survivors and families, 50 mm -hmm. billion. Um, obviously, somewhat, you know, I'm not here to argue which injustice or evil is worse than the other. That gets really murky when you do that in history. Um, but that was a everyone would probably be like, oh, that makes sense. That's fair. Uh, in the same in the same way in America, after Japanese Americans were confined in internment camps for three years. The U.S. government issued a national apology and gave $20,000 per victim. So even us knew that, hey, we did this thing for three years to Japanese Americans that was horrible. 
And even though that probably wasn't even near enough what they did by just issuing an apology and giving 20000 per victim, there was still some type of reparation. But when it comes to black yeah. Americans, no. no. It's too complicated. We can't figure it out. Um, we wouldn't be able to track them down, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so, Ryan, let's move from that, um, and let's talk about the Bible. Ryan, does the Bible anywhere in the Old or New Testament talk about reparations or former reparations or something that we as Christians can lean on to, to help us move forward? Yeah, I think uh, in Deuteronomy 15, um, we see that. Uh, I'll read um, the first six verses. Uh, it's talking about the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So there's an inherent salvific reality in reparations and Deuteronomy 15. Verse 3, it says, Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours with your brother in your hand you shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you and shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Now, obviously, we are not um, ancient Near Eastern uh Hebrews being formed into a nation where God is giving us well, justice. Some, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, we some are. would argue, but you do have a precedent for the the salvation of the Israelites and God doing that out of mercy, then translating into a very earthly and heavenly combined releasing of debt and releasing of captivity. Uh, there's other things in this text about um, letting slaves go free. Uh, talking about slaves not as American slavery, but male and female servants in, yeah. in, in ancient kind Greece. Of slavery. Different kind of slavery but, slavery, but still slavery, still human trading. And and you have this releasing of that, and that's supposed to be happening every 49 years for sure. There's the year of Jubilee. There's, uh, the, or, but you see right here in Deuteronomy 15, it's um, the end of every seven years you shall grant this release. And so oh, yeah. I think there are, uh, if, even if it's not cash payments being made, there is debts being erased, and there's yep. an equilibrium of wealth. And yeah. that is inherent in God's salvific plan for the Israelites and the world and his mercy baseline and how he's gracious. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, there's like there's so many ways to be creative. And, you know, in some ways, I'm not even here to argue on a specific way as like this is right. the right way or the biblical way. But I, I exactly. do think like reparation and reparations are biblical and essential and yeah. needed. Um, in the same way, like a lot of Americans are on board with, you know, some form of canceling student debt in some ways. Mm -hmm. Not everyone. I know a lot of people hate that. Um, but it's like, okay, well, what would it look like just for us to cancel the debt of black Americans who are descendants of slaves? Um, like what, what's the difference? There's so many ways we're already doing reparations and thinking through creative ways to help people. Um, but for some reason it comes to this, uh, I don't know. And so you even see like in the old Testament with Exodus 21 and 22, Leviticus 5 and uh, Leviticus 6, as well as Numbers 5, also talk about similar situations with slavery. Again, it's not our slavery of America, but it's similar. Um, so it's like a one-to-one. -one. And then you have kind of, it's not necessarily a one-to-one, -one, um, but this is, I think, a, a story in the New Testament that kind of show what reparation is. Um, so you have the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Um, and so you have the story where Zacchaeus is, is a tax collector and has defrauded people over years and years and years, because that was kind of his job. You would get the tax for Rome, but then you charge a higher tax to make you like yourself a living. And you could basically just do whatever you wanted. Um, cause they weren't necessarily going to like come down hard on you as Rome, as long as you're giving them what they wanted. And so Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, uh, someone who has been profiting 
off a set of people who has been uh, harshly treating a set of people, and it's his own people um, for one, but he's harshly treating, harshly profiting off a set of people. And of course, as what Jesus does with a lot of people, it changes his life, it transforms him. And so he repents. Um, he, he says that he's sorry for how he's treated people, but he doesn't stop there. Um, he also then promises to give half his possessions to the poor and pay back fourfold to whoever he had robbed. So if you think of like reparation, um, if you think of even repentance, repentance is, you know, apology, acknowledgement, and acceptance, as well as restitution, reparation, um, and making things right. And so we have a story there with a Zacchaeus, someone who profited off a set of people uh, who did things that he didn't have to do it that way, but he wanted to get the highest possible profit and highest possible self-interest. And it, it really blossomed him and blossomed his own life. He became a, a wealthy person. Um, and he realized that, you know, when I encounter the person of Jesus who calls things to make things right, um, he not only said sorry, but also gave half of his possessions away to the poor because he realized that his injustice had greater ramifications than just on the people he uh, profited off of, but also on the greater society, yeah. as well as paying back fourfold individually to each of them. Yeah. So what are looking yeah. for us to have a Zacchaeus-like repentance where we mm. realize, you know, even for uh, black people who are not descendants of slaves in America— that there was an economic impact that happened to them. In the same way, there's actually a huge economic impact that happened to white America, like rural, white, poor America, because of some discriminatory practices um, that were used against black people. How do we like yeah. give reparation for that, as well as then individually, uh, anyone who can pr- prove that they're a descendant of slaves? Hey, let's figure out something. Um, it may not, co- you know, it may not change the wealth gap because money doesn't solve anything. It may not change things dramatically, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't start with something or start going after something, um, which I feel like a lot of people's like, you can't just throw money at the problem. And it's like, well, so you want to do nothing then is what you're saying. You just want to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's always ends up being the default. So Ryan, that's kind of, uh, the episode. I'm going to post an article in here from, uh, Tabiti Anyabule, um, basically talking more through reparations. It's from the gospel coalition. Um, so again, like you don't have to take our word for it. You can go through there and, and see a biblical case. There's also Duke Kwan's and Gregory Thompson book, Um, But let me close with this last quote uh, from Duke Kwan um, uh, about reparations. So he says, What would the American church be like if we had truly repented and repaired the breach? Could you imagine if black and white churches had merged together 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, 300 years ago? Think of the possibilities of having black and white theologians teaching from the same seminaries. Think about the incredible music that it could have come out of that kind of partnership between black worship and white worship. Um, Which, side note, I think that's why Maverick City is so popular with our generation, because it's bringing together uh, the different expressions of Christianity Mm -hmm. in America and in a beautiful, harmonious way. Um, But yeah, just imagine if we had actually repaired the breach. Instead of being someone who propped up the breach, who uh, benefited from it, um, what would it look like if, if white Americans had repaired that breach? White Christians yeah. repaired that breach. Jamar Tisby often says that the black church became the black church because the white church was racist. Like the black church wouldn't exist if the white church was actually being the church. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something for us to think about. The it, it's even almost framed in too much of consumeristic, success-driven way of like think how much of the you know how much prosperity we could have had if both churches were together. But even just think of the beauty we missed out on. Think of the the richness. Think of the when we get to the throne and we realize that, you know, all these people are around the throne and harmony and justice and reparation. 
and we could have had a taste of that now, but we were refusing to give up some of our possessions, refusing to just even be a part of a solution. We're too scared about being punished or maybe had our own white guilt that we didn't want to bring onto ourselves. Um, so for me, I'm just like, let's do something. I'll, I'll, you know, if I need to give away my vote, if I need to give away, have a higher tax rate, if I need to do something that, that helps bring equity and justice, uh, do it. I don't care. Like this life is nothing. It's a mist. It's a breath. Um, so I'm here for justice and I'm here for reparations. Um, but Ryan, last word, you have it, take it away. All right. Um, I think, uh, There's really nothing else to say. That's fine. There's <laughs> <laughs> really not. Like, there's nothing There's nothing else to say. Yeah. If you don't want to join in sacrificing for the sake of others, then um, don't read the Gospels. Ooh. Ooh, that is a good last word. That's you did have something else to say. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Well, we'll see you all in the next episode.